Here at Doxadeo Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Hi there, and welcome back to the third session of Follow, as we examine what it means to take daily steps with Jesus. As disciples, we don't want to simply know about Jesus. We want to follow Him with every fiber of our being, all that we are. And so these six life-giving habits, they work to establish us in the new life that Jesus alone can give. And in this session, we want to look at our third habit, I devote myself to the Word and to prayer. Now, our kids have got this book that was given to them by their grandparents, and it's a strange, almost a real story of these two young boys who one day decide out of sheer boredom that they are going to basically take apart the house and build a working airplane. It's very strange. And at one stage when the father, blissfully unaware, gets into his car to drive away, he turns the ignition and of course nothing happens. Why? Because the boys have removed the engine from his car. It's quite intense. And in the same way, without the engine, without this driving force, that car is going nowhere. And I want to say to us that the driving force of Christianity, the thing that makes daily steps with Jesus go forward is relationship. It's building an intimate relationship with God. You know, I am a podcast addict. I love listening to podcasts. And I've spent so many hours of my life listening to people like Kerry Neoff and Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss that it almost feels like I know them. But the reality is if I saw them on the street, it wouldn't be this big, merry, you know, Reunion between us and hugs and kisses because they don't actually know me. It'd be weird. And that's the reality. You know, being religious could simply mean that I know about God. But following Jesus means that I make it this lifelong passion project to grow in a relationship with who God is. And I devote myself to this nurturing of a relationship, not because I have to, but because I get to. You know, Jesus in his own life, he came to show us that there is no greater worth in this world than coming to know who your father is. It's the way that he lived his life. And it's through that intimate relationship that we get engaged with life itself. That's why John 1 verse 4 says, In Him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. And so two questions that I probably need to wrestle with is, number one, what do my rhythms weekly and daily look like of building an intimate relationship with God, my Father? And secondly, is it even possible for me not to make it an indispensable part of how I put my life together. As a follower of Jesus, as I'm taking daily steps with Him, I want to take my cues of what's important in life 
from him. And if we look at his life, we see that he made these moments of silence and of solitude, of building relationship with her father. It was central to how he lived. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. It's how Jesus did life. Luke 5 verse 15 says, but the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together and hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. You know, when I read things like early in the morning, or when he says things like often he would go, we see that this was not a moment for Jesus. It was a habit. It was a lifestyle of building an intimate relationship with the Father. Okay, so what then does this look like? What do we actually do in these times of solitude and stillness as we build relationship with our Father? And I want to give you probably the two pillars of Christianity when it comes to knowing who God is. And it's firstly prayer, and secondly, reading the Word of God, the Bible. Prayer is a time where I can speak to Jesus, and I can wait to hear from Him. And reading the Bible, the Word, is a time where I open myself up to be discipled by God, to hear from Him, to learn about His character and His ways and His truth. And I want to say right from the get-go that we intentionally set out these moments of building intimate relationship, but we don't do it so that we would appease God in some way or we would make Him come closer in some fashion, or we would, you know, have a check mark next to our name. No, we do this so that we would understand the depth of what Jesus has accomplished. Because guess what? The Bible says it's a finished work. Jesus had a successful work on the cross. John 14 verse 20 says, On that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. There is no more distance between us and God. And it's from that place, that reference, it's when I know that Jesus has brought us into full and final and eternal presence of God that I now say, okay, let me build relationship with my Father. See, I don't think many people actually realize that when they sense that they cannot go into the presence of God because of past sins or mistakes, that they are missing out on the fullness of what the good news has brought. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews when he says in verse 19 of chapter 10, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so we are always in the presence 
of God. But it's in these intentional moments of stillness and solitude that we take a moment to savor, to take note of the presence of God and to ask Him for guidance and strength and direction, to be taught who He is and to grow closer in relationship with Him. You know, it's almost like marriage. Even though I live in the same house as my wife, we sleep in the same bed. In that sense, we're in each other's presence. It doesn't mean that I'm actually savoring those moments. Now, I can be out on a date night with my wife and we can both be on our phones constantly or we can be savoring each other's presence as we build relationship. So let's look at those two pillars just in a bit more depth and the first pillar is this, there is great worth in prayer. There's great worth in prayer. Matthew 6 verse 6 says, but when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The word reward is striking because it speaks of value. It's Jesus that teaches us in these times of prayer, we experience life. So I don't pray in some, you know, religiously mechanical way or some stoic just routine that I follow or I'm trying to just get check marks behind my name. No, I pray with the expectation that I would come to know life itself. Reward speaks of something that I cannot that I do not want to go without. It's in these moments that God becomes so real to me. You know, it's almost like oxygen. It's all around us, but I actually need to breathe to take it in. In the same way, the presence of God, because of Jesus, it's always with us, but we need to breathe and take it in. I think it's absolutely incredible that of all the astounding things that Jesus did, miracles, healings, these earth-shattering teachings that have stood the test of time, his disciples only ever asked him to teach them one thing. What was it? Luke 11 verse 1 says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And verse 2 says, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father. You see, they saw the effect that the Father had on Jesus. The close and intimate relationship that the two of them had. Say, Father. That's what Jesus taught. And, you know, one of the early church fathers, he put it this way. He said, true prayer brings the mind to the contemplation of God's character. It holds it there until the believer's soul is properly impressed. Prayer impresses something of who God is upon our souls and hearts. You know, it's like our kids when they were much younger, they would take these epic afternoon naps just for hours on end. And they would have these blankets that they would never part way with. And so when they went to nap with these blankets under them, they would emerge from this time of slumbering with these deep impressions upon their face. And this is what prayer does. It impresses upon us who God is. So what was it that was 
impressed upon Jesus that these disciples so took note of. And there are so many examples, but let me just give you three. The first thing is they saw the authority that Jesus displayed in the face of circumstances that needed to change. John 11 verse 41 says, So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they would believe that you sent me. But secondly, they saw the direction that Jesus received from the Father in moments where he needed guidance. So Luke 6 verse 12 says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent all night in prayer. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them. And thirdly, they saw the courage that Jesus found in moments where he faced extremely difficult circumstances. Luke twenty-two forty-one says, he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, it was in these moments of prayer to his Father that Jesus received authority and direction and courage. It's almost like this you know, viral video of a couple of years ago where a bunch of sheep are out herding and the shepherd encourages other people to try and call them. And so they use all these different techniques and calls and whistles. Nothing happens until the shepherd so calmly just calls them once and the sheep come running. This is the moment in prayer that we come to learn the voice of our great shepherd. You see, I think many people view God as, as distant, as cold, as aloof in some way. But Jesus' teaching on prayer challenges that so deeply. This prayer that he taught us in Matthew 6 verse 19, it goes like this. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, Jesus, in this teaching moment of prayer, he models something so profound. God is not supposed to be in our minds aloof and distant. We are supposed to involve him in every aspect of our lives. He says we should pray for God's will to be done in our circumstances and in our spheres of influence. We are to pray for God's provision in everyday life. We are to pray for growth in our lives. And, and when we live in a way that's contrary to the will of God, for forgiveness and the strength to change, we are to pray for a life posture of dependence on Him. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
See, the Bible is clear. It's in these moments of prayer that life meets us. It's in these moments that sin is met with righteousness, that darkness is met with light, that pride is met with humility, that hate is met with love, that death is met with life, that fear is met with peace. It's our Father. I think of the great theological work, The Lion King, where Simba's new friends in this moment of panic in his life, they are not challenging him with truth. They've got this easygoing, Akuna Matata style of doing. And it takes the voice of his father to show him the truth. When he says, you have forgotten who you are. You are more than who you have become. It's in prayer that we hear the life-giving words of our father. And finally, when we think about prayer that directs our focus, I want to say that prayer is not simply meant to be for us. Because so many of us, if we are just praying for ourselves all the time, prayer will become so stale so quickly. No, the Christian faith is about realizing life is not all about me. God wants to redirect my focus, like the kingdom always does, to others to their faith, to their love, to their hope, or maybe lack thereof. And it's when I start praying for them that prayer comes alive. There's great worth in prayer. Richard Foster says about prayer, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than what is within our power to give them. And this led us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. His great worth in prayer. But the second pillar of knowing God, of devoting myself to this intimate relationship, is realizing that there's great worth in the Word. See, in any healthy and growing relationship, there are times that I speak, but also that I listen. And if I have the desire to hear daily, the voice of the creator of the universe, the unmoved mover himself, the one who has redeemed me, the one who is life, then I need to open up the Bible, the word of God, with an expectation to hear from him, to be taught, to be guided, to be directed, to be strengthened through him. You see, if you go and look at any list of the best-selling books of all time, the top five usually look something like this. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, you'll get the Harry Potter series in there somewhere, the Lord of the Rings, but usually the top dog, the 800-pound gorilla of books sold is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. 200 million books sold. That's phenomenal. That's four copies for every single person in South Africa. But a book that you are not going to find on any list like this, they have now had the tradition for many decades of leaving it off these lists because it is the de facto best-selling book of all time. It's the Bible. Because it dwarfs these sales with more than 6 billion copies sold. That's 82,000 copies of the Bible sold every day. And while you know, popular books like the Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter series are usually translated into 55 different languages, that's an epic feat. 
the Bible has been translated into more than two and a half thousand different languages. No other work of literature has ever so captured the heart of mankind. And this level of impact, it's not come because of what many people wrongly think about the Bible. The Bible is not meant to be a scientific textbook. It's not supposed to be this manual of motivation. It's not supposed to be a newspaper that has strange future prophecies caught up in it. No, the Bible is this genre-filled library of different works and authors and languages that all point to the same thing. It has one main primary focus, and it's Jesus. Everything in all its unique literature and ways is pointing to Him. And if I miss that, I miss everything. So that's why the Christian philosopher C.S. Lewis famously said, we come to Scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. When I miss him, I miss everything. I'll be like Homer Simpson in the Simpsons movie when he's frantically paging through the Bible saying, I can't find any answers in this book. If I miss him, I'll have a life. You know, I have a friend from high school who would, page literally at random through the Bible, asking God about this girlfriend that, he, that he's unsure of where they're going. He's wondering about if he's going to be dropped from this rugby team that he's in. And he's literally looking for the word yes or no in a sentence. If I miss him, I miss everything. I've unfortunately had contact in my life with a person who was quite literally a Bible under the arm, scripture quoting right in front of the church, hands raised high on a Sunday person who would, meanwhile, back at the ranch, defraud people out of millions of rands. This is not what the word is meant for. No, everything in the Bible, in its unique way, is pointing to the story of God's interaction with mankind that climaxes in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is why Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by His mighty power of His command. So when I open up the Bible, it's in a posture of saying, God, will you speak to me? Will you come and shape me? Will you come and challenge me? God, I'm expecting Jesus to shape my character, to challenge my wrong beliefs, to guide me on his mission, to form our minds and our hearts and our thinking, to teach us about his character to comfort us with love and with grace and to strengthen us with His perspective, to reveal more of who He is. No, it's in these times of reading, of studying, of meditating on the Bible that I'm opening myself up to the voice of God Himself. And just lastly, for that to happen, I need to believe with conviction that this is not just simply a book. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God 
and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's when I truly come to understand this value of the Word of God, the written Word, that I will start shaping all of my life's rhythms around it. I cannot go through life constantly being taught by politics and series and movies and influences and friends and think that I will have a biblical worldview. No, I need the Word of God. It's why Colossians 2 verse 6 says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. When I'm sold out for Jesus, my daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, decade in, decade out rhythms of life will be shaped around the Word of God. It's in these moments that I'm asking the Spirit to speak to me. It's why St. Benedict famously said, we need to ask God for the openness to hear with the ears of our hearts. I'm not just ticking a box. I'm saying, God, teach me, guide me, love me. So in closing, I want to say that we cannot afford not to spend time with Jesus. Relationship is the driving force of daily steps with Him. It is the driving force of the Christian faith. So we want to devote ourselves to the Word and to prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask today that you would give us such a passion for your Word and to commune with you in prayer. God, may you shape us in profound ways for every person who's hearing this. May they meet you in ways they never thought possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for spending time with me. I'll see you in our next session. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.